Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? The Galactic Dads Podcast, a podcast by Geeky Dads, talking about all things geek, dad life, I am the father, and beyond. Language. All right, and welcome to our Comics Creator episode with the very special Colin Bunn. Colin, thanks for joining us tonight. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time. I know you've had a very busy January and into February, uh, but uh, one of the things we love on the show is talking to dads. That's kind of our shtick, and you're certainly a father. Um, so how's, how's the father life treating you balancing it with comic book writing and all the other various writing you do? It's a, it's, it's treating me well. I mean, it's, it's not a bad gig to have, uh, as a, as a dad, I have a little more flexibility with my schedule, uh, even, uh, even during super busy times, uh, you know, it helps being, uh, being able to adjust the schedule to, to, uh, do things with my kid or attend events for my kid or, or, or things like that. So, um, so that's, um, you know, nine times out of 10, um, the comic book schedule, um, is, you know, is beneficial to parenthood. I think maybe the one time, the one 10 out of 10 could be around con season when you're traveling on weekends. Yeah, that's the worst. Uh, it's, and it's little things like my kid has a, a, a martial arts belt test coming up and it's a day that I will be in Chicago at a convention. So, uh, I don't like missing those, those kind of things, but, uh, it seems like those events always come up around the time of a convention. Ain't it the way. Yep. Yeah. Well, um, we're sorry to hear that, but I'm sure everybody does love to see you at conventions. I'm not sure if that particular convention is C2E2 that's coming yeah. up at the yeah. yeah at the very yeah. end of this month. Uh, but uh, that is great, though. I don't, you were there last year, too, right? Uh, well, sort of. Uh, I was there. I was in Chicago during C2E2. I was at the convention the first day, and then I got food poisoning that oh, no. night, and I missed the rest of the convention. All right. Okay. So, yeah, that, that's that, tough. So I'm I'm hoping to to make, you know, to my my memories of C2E2 right now are not the most pleasant because of that. So uh, I'm hoping this year to to wipe the slate clean Oof. Of, of the projectile vomit. <laughs> and <laughs> that that's that's rough. That's yeah, something it, you'd love to forget, I'm sure. It was not great. Oh man, I can't, now. When I go, I'm just gonna have to bring like my own granola bars and bottled water and just rough it for the weekend because now well, I'm terrified. You know, that's the thing is you never you never know when something like that's gonna happen. It's gonna happen, you know. You can't you can't live in fear of it. So I just uh, you know uh, I may not go to uh, the same restaurants I went to last year. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Just tell me it wasn't the food in the convention center. That's all I need to know. Uh. If it was, it was a pretzel because that's all. I mean, I usually don't eat during conventions. Um, I don't get a chance to get away from the table, and uh, I think the only thing I ate was a pretzel. And I, I find it hard to believe that a pretzel could give me food poisoning that badly. So <laughs> that badly. Okay. Well, yeah. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's move on to something cheerier and brighter. If you and, say uh, so. Yeah. I mean, I can talk about food poisoning all night long. We won't get too specific. And too many right. dads out there are used to projectile vomiting from their little ones. Right. Uh, we'll, we'll use this as some escape from those type of duties. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you do want to talk about some gross stuff, uh, why, why don't we talk about some of your more, I guess, kind of graphic books that have kind of a darker, macabre, kind of gross not really gross. I wouldn't call a lot of the books gross, but like the horror aspects of your books. Sure. Um, the first one that comes to mind, I, I always think of this when I think of you, is your book that uh, you did with Joel Jones, Helheim. Yes. 
which was essentially a badass Viking undead warrior, kind of like Frankenstein's monster, but brought back with some witch mysticism and stuff. Uh, really loved that book. And that was the book that I first was able to pick up. I picked it up in trade uh, when I met you at one of those cons and you looked very healthy. You <laughs> were not suffering from any type of food poisoning. Uh, but that was all the way back in 2013, I think, while you were at a small con in St. Louis. Has that book been around that long? It, you know, I, I sympathize. I feel like I'm getting really old really fast. Right. Uh, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago. Yeah, it's uh, time Time is certainly passing quickly. But yeah, no, uh, I love that. I was actually just talking to uh, to someone about that book today. Uh, it's, uh, it's earlier today and, uh, it's, uh, it's a book I was, I was really proud of. Um, like you said, it's, it's, it's a Viking era Frankenstein story. And, uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's got, it's got its share of, of gross moments, I guess. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's definitely a book I, I, I have very fond memories of working on and, and, and the, the, reader response to it has has always been very positive well it's very entertaining of course it's helped along by the art as well uh so it's really easy to get pulled into the book but a lot of your books kind of have that kind of darker kind of horror vibe to them like harrow county or um even your aftershock book dark arc Mm -hmm. which is just kind of a fun twisted take on the classic noah story um for those who may not be familiar with it you want to talk about that a little bit yeah yeah uh dark arc uh is uh as you said it's from from aftershock comics um illustrated by wando uh it is you know we we all know the story of noah's ark uh but what we didn't know is that there was a second arc uh at sea at the same time as noah's but on that arc uh all of the 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 monsters were were on board. So the vampires and the werewolves and the goblins and the giants and minotaurs and every monster you can imagine was on board that ship uh, with the same goal of of survival. And as you can imagine, with a a, a ship full of monsters, there's a lot of uh, uh, the 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 political <laughs> the sort of mo- the politics of monsterdom uh kind of wreak havoc on on that voyage yeah that's kind of a fun thing to think about if you have a bunch of monsters they still suffer from social and political confrontations just constantly um it's a it's a fun different way to think of the monsters yeah, it's a it's it's been a fun book, and we uh, so it was a it was an initial fifteen issue run, um, and that that that's those three arcs of the first story have been collected in hardcover now, um, and now we're doing a new book called Dark Arc After the Flood, which is telling the story of what happens once they reach land. Oh, that's cool! I didn't know that was on the on the way out already. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's uh, we did the the the, the fifteen issues wrapped up the first series, and now mm-hmm. we're we're in this one. And then on Free Comic Book Day this year, we're releasing a a single issue of Dark Arc called Dark Arc Instinct, which uh, is sort of a standalone story. Uh, it's it's new. It's not reprint material. It's it's a new standalone story uh, in the world of Dark Arc that. Uh, can introduce someone who's never read the who, people who've read the story will get a you know something new to enjoy. Someone who has never read the series can pick it up and and uh, and and get a a good feel for what the the book's all about. Very cool. Yeah, that's definitely something I'll be picking up uh, just to kind of pick up where I left off. It's so hard to get to a good comic book shop when you're way out here uh, where I am, but. Uh, yeah, look forward to that. And that'll be on free comic book day, right? Yes. Yes. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, so it seems that uh, you write kind of like that mythical or, or new takes on kind of old monster um, kind of tropes and, and find new ways to make those fresh. What, where would you say you get the ideas to 
come up with a different take on on I mean we see monsters and Frankenstein's monsters and uh Dracula and werewolves and zombies and everything all the time the uniqueness is kind of the way that you come at it at a different angle by say putting them all on Noah's boat and seeing what that story is or um even in probably Harrow County uh, the things that that went on in that book as well as The Damned uh, which is like that whore nor American kind of style of a book. Where do you say your ideas come to you? For me, it's the shower or, <laughs> or when I'm supposed to be, you know, listening to my kid's story or something that kind of keeps repeating without that point. Like, where do you find the inspiration for these new takes on classic stories? Well, I mean, you know, you say it jokingly, but a lot of people say the shower is the the writer's best friend for coming up with ideas. Uh, you know, the shower, uh, going to the gym and working out. You you know, you shut your your conscious brain down to uh, to a, at a to a certain extent, and and uh, you just sort of uh, let your mind wander, and these these different weird ideas come to you. Some of them. Some of them immediately get flushed right out of your brain, but uh, but those that stick around, you know, for me anyway, I'll I'll noodle around with them. If I, I have just the kernel of an idea, I just kind of do free writing. I sit down and I just start, uh, and it may be you know one one sentence or less than a sentence. Uh, Monsters on Noah's Ark, you know that that might be what it is. And I sit down and start free writing what that might look like. And, uh, and, and sometimes those ideas get, uh, they fall apart during that brainstorming phase. Uh, and sometimes they, they start to take shape. That makes sense. You say some of them get flushed away immediately. Um, do any of them kind of show up due to a lot of those really good looking cocktails that you post on your social <laughs> medias? I don't know that, I don't know that I've ever had. Uh, a great idea that I can attribute to to uh, to having a a, a cocktail. I mean, maybe maybe some of them come up during that time, but uh, uh, most of those end up being uh, dumb ideas. So I I just uh, don't do anything with them. <laughs> Go back and read those free writing sessions the next right. day, and you're like, wow, this was no, this was not okay. All right, let's yeah, scrap uh, that. Start over. Yeah, that doesn't make me productive usually. So. Uh, it's more and, of a relaxing. Know, yeah, th- those are more uh, more about uh, shutting things down. Ah, uh, that's understandable. Um, I do have to ask, though. It's kind of a kind of a good segment of our show where we always talk about the beer of the day or whatever we're drinking. Uh, what What are you currently enjoying at this particular time? Um. Well, I I, I drink a, I, I probably am more of a bourbon guy uh, these days. Um, so I, I enjoy a good old fashioned, um, from time to time. Uh, beer wise, beer wise, uh, people who like beer don't like my beer choices. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm not a, I'm whatever the opposite of a beer snob is. All right. Okay. Uh, I like, I like my beer to be as, uh, as smooth and as easy to drink as it can possibly be and uh it, for me beer is more about just getting together and socializing with friends rather than uh worrying about uh what kind of uh you know all the things beer snobs worry about i guess I so yeah I, I have a lot of beer snob friends and they make fun of my choices when it comes to beer uh but you know that's fine that's okay. We don't judge anybody's beer selection. It's whatever you have on hand. If you can just relax, it's totally worth it. Right. Actually, uh, I'm looking at a Budweiser right now, uh, trying to decide if I want to pop the cap now or later. Yeah, uh, I'm actually having a Bud Light seltzer right now. Oh, a seltzer. Look at you, all the fun without any of the guilty conscience. They just, I guess they just came out, so I had to try one. So I tried one and I was like, this is delightful. And then I realized (laughs) it was not the seltzer with like no carbs, no sugar. And now I'm getting used now. So the next one I popped was one of those no carb, no sugar seltzers. 
uh, and it is a di- different experience. <laughs> I bet we did a uh, we did a taste testing on our show of the oh was it Trulies? No, it was the White Claws. We got a variety pack. Oh yeah, those were the ones that were hard to find for a while, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, exploded in popularity. Uh, we're not really exploding in flavor, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Like, you knew you were drinking something, but it wasn't wasn't quite what I wanted. It was like a staticky. I don't know, but uh, not not my favorite. But I do understand why people can just like drown a case of them and not feel like they've been drinking a loaf of bread. Like if you do a twelve pack or a six pack, even of <laughs> drinking a loaf of bread. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We've all been there, and it really helps attribute to my dad bod. So. Um, I might have to switch to the seltzers or just go to the straight up bourbons and maybe a Manhattan. I know that's not straight up, but that sounds refreshing right now, too. Yeah, you know, well, you can make an old fashioned and I, don't, I mean, a lot of people don't like them anyway, but you can make an old fashioned with very few carbs in it. And uh, so uh, those are uh, those aren't bad if you're uh, uh, if you're watching. It's a it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty stout drink. Um, but, uh, but you can actually make them without them being too, uh, too heavy on, on the things that contribute to dad bods. <laughs> Easy on the syrup there. Even if it's yes. simple, that's fine. Right. Well, anyway, it sounds like you do like a little variety in your drinks, um, which if you attribute that to your writing sounds spot on because you have a ton of variety in the things you've written and a ton of things that you have written. Um, I was going through it and thinking about all the stuff that just off the top of my head, I know that you have worked on and it is an extensive list. Everything from um, X-Men Blue to the Venomized series to Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe. Um, i th- pretty sure I picked up a Magneto series that you did. Yes. Uh, and even, um, I mean, I think you even had a, a run on Aquaman. Uh, to Sinistro and Lobo, uh, I'm thinking Green Lanterns, but not specifically yeah. Green. Yeah, really? Wow. Yeah, uh, Green Lantern, The Lost Army. Yeah, so That's it, was just it. A, it was a miniseries, but yeah. Yeah, um, and uh, Monsters Unleashed for Marvel. Yes. Uh, which sounds crazy and fun. It just makes you think of Fing Fang Foom and all of his buddies and I was just trying to think. You've written so much for Marvel and DC, uh, which, of course, I do have a few questions about. But the question I really want to ask is, at this point, is there a character that you have not yet been able to write that you really wish you could get a crack at? Oh, there are there are, you know, definitely a few characters that uh, that I'd love to that I'd love to to have a chance to write. Uh, it's usually most of the darker characters, the horror-based characters, uh, Swamp Thing and Hellblazer and Man Thing, and uh, characters like that uh, are sort of, you know, high on my list. Uh, although I'm not current, I don't really, I'm not really pursuing any of those characters, trying to make anything happen with them. Those are those are characters that I'd love to do something with. I'm sure. Okay. Okay. No, like the, you know, you hear a bunch of casual fans and stuff talk about. Man, I would love to write Batman. Like, is that anywhere near your wheelhouse of what you're you're after? Um, it would have to be a certain take on Batman that I don't know that uh, uh, DC would have the appetite to do. And okay, uh, uh, you know, there was a time years ago that uh, you know it's pretty close to to being one of the Batman writers and. Uh, it, it's just how things change, and even even these characters that I name, that I'm, I say, oh, I sure would wish I had a chance to write those characters. Most of them, I've been close, or it's been in the works, and things have changed, or you know, publishing initiatives shift, and and you never know when it can shift back again, you know. Oh yeah, I mean that's constantly changing. It feels almost every year to two years at, uh, especially at the big two. Um, yeah, I think a lot of the stuff that I just mentioned off at DC, you were doing around the new 52 era. Um, so, uh, 
my first work with DC was right before New 52. And um, I did like a four-issue run on Superman Batman. Oh, cool. And they asked me to come on. There were three different New 52 titles that I was I was putting together and and developing for DC. And around that time, Marvel offered me an exclusive contract, and DC didn't. So I stepped over to Marvel right around the time New 52 was just taking off. And then I came back to DC. I don't remember what the initiative was called right after New 52. Whatever was next, it was sort of that wave is when I started writing a lot of stuff for DC. Right, right. Yeah. So I, I can't remember, you know, I, I you know, I, I can't remember all the names of these things. New 52, whatever they were. Yeah. But yeah. Right. <laughs> so it was it was sort of towards uh, either right after the shift from, you know, whatever into the, you know, to whatever the next phase was of DC or right before that, I think. Mm-hmm. One of the things I was wondering, though, is around that time and traditionally you've written like a lot of books that have like a solo antagonist or protagonist, excuse me. Mm. Uh, and then you also have written books like perfect example, X-Men blue, um, where it's more of a team book. What's the challenges or the differences that you enjoy going from a single character book to a team book? Well, you know, as a longtime comic fan, I love, team books you know and and you know my some of all really all of my favorite books when i was really getting into comics for the first time were all team books when i think about it um you know we're talking micronauts dread star uh uncanny x-men teen titans those were all team books and those were those rank very high as my as my favorite favorite books um they're different challenges. A, a a solo character like when I did Magneto, or when I did Sinestro, you really get the chance to dig into that character, um, which is awesome. But sometimes the voice of it can be a little challenging. Making sure it's an an interesting voice and writing inner honestly writing inner monologues and I do it a lot is is tough. It's not an easy. It's not easy to do. Um, mm-hmm. but I keep going back to it because it's usually, it, it's, it helps you really get into the character. Um, writing team books, the challenge is making sure all of the characters in the team get to share the spotlight. So it's not, you know, it's, it's not a, a Jean Grey book when you're writing X-Men. It's a, it's, you know, an, an X-Men book. Right. And right. that's the. That's the piece that you have to kind of play with when you're when you're doing those team books. Even though I I really enjoy the team dynamic. Yeah, now that I'm really thinking about kind of X Men Blue, was it your decision? And correct me if I'm wrong here, but to uh, kind of get Beast to start using magic was it? So no, that uh, actually uh, before I wrote X Men Blue, I was writing Uncanny X Men. And uh, Dennis Hopeless was writing all new X-Men. And it was Dennis who started uh, Beast down this path of of using magic. And then the books all shifted. And uh, and I was assigned uh, X-Men Blue. So I took that, what Dennis was was doing, and I just kept, you know, kept going along with it. Kept expanding it. Right. Yeah. That was kind of a... It's always in the past, like, 2000s and 2010s, being an X-Men fan is, I, I would say, almost slightly confusing unless you are just right up on it uh, for every issue and every shift uh, because the Uncanny books have changed to the, the all-new X-Men, which, of course, was the old X-Men coming back, but we're again the, the, the core team. Uh, and then, of course, everything going on with Hickman's X-Men run now and everything that's spinning out of that. It's really difficult to keep up with Marvel's mutants, man. Yeah, uh, you know, I think it's uh, it's uh, and that's that's actually I think the challenge of 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 writing those characters is there are expectations for them from especially from longtime fans and 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 just how those characters are written. So the challenge is 
writing them in a way that a person who's never read an X-Men book could enjoy it. Yeah, with all those continuity changes and, and still having right. to... I know the old saying is every comic could be somebody's first comic, so you have to write it accessible like that. But it's it's got to be really hard to do that, especially with the way that uh, the internet can can voice their opinions on every issue or character <laughs> beat or anything like that. Oh well, yeah, I, my favorite with with X Men Blue was, and you know if you haven't read those books, like you you said earlier, the X Men Blue team were teenage versions. <laughs> of existing X-Men characters. And uh and I remember there was one person on Twitter that really jumped all over me right after X-Men Blue came out and said, uh, you know, you have no idea how to write Jean Grey. She sounds like a teenager here. And and they had no clue that these characters had been, you know, were time lost. Now also, they weren't reading the issue. They were reading a page from a preview, you know, a preview that Marvel had released. Oh, uh, lost in context, huh? So, so I was like, well, yes, I did write her as a teenager. That's what she is. And, and they said, and she doesn't sound like a, a modern person. She doesn't, she's, you know, they're, they're, they're talking about things where they're, they don't sound modern. And I'm like, well, they're not. They're, you know, <laughs> they're, they're from a different era. And, uh, and that was, a. Uh, that was all. That was always fun to to deal with the people who really just didn't, uh, who didn't know that. And like I said, I think most of them weren't reading the comic anyway. They were seeing preview pages or you know scans from somewhere, and were happily complaining about it. I I always wanted to know when comic book writers who experience a lot of backlash and things online, and um, but how do you balance that? as far as balancing the the negative criticisms, the positive stuff, or just using social media altogether while you're trying to still create your story for these characters? Well, you know, it's, it's difficult. So it, it, well, early on, it was very difficult with for me. Uh, I broke into comics doing creator-owned stuff, and mm-hmm. you don't get that kind of backlash on creator-owned material. You... By and you know, by and large, feedback on most of the creator-owned stuff that you do is is usually pretty positive. And uh, so, when I first started working for Marvel and DC, I was like, "Well, that's just going to be the same kind of reaction." But <laughs> but what you get is you get people who are really invested in these characters. Uh, in some cases, they've been reading them, you know, for decades, and and they feel a sense of ownership to those characters. You just have to kind of accept that. It, it took me a while to realize to really accept that that was going to be part of the you know part of the equation. Um, but you also get the people who want everything right now, and I think there is what the internet has given us is this sort of sense of I want it now. And and I always think back on when I was a kid and I was reading Uncanny X Men. And there was an issue where Storm loses her powers. And it was the worst thing that had ever happened to an X-Man character, in my opinion. And they strung me out for months and months and years. Storm didn't have her powers. That would never fly now. People would go berserk. Uh, <laughs> She's got to have her powers back. This issue. This issue. We don't want it. How dare you take powers away for even, even a page or two. And, uh, and, and those are the ones that always make me sort of chuckle is when, you know, they'll say, you know, how, you know, how could you do this to a character? And the thing that they're complaining about is undone by the end of the issue, but that still wasn't soon enough for them. Um, and, uh, and I, I kind of miss that, those days of having, being able to, you know, of, 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 of worrying about a character and wondering if this character will, you know, if things will go right or if things will be set right for a long time. Back in those days, you had to really be fearful if your character was killed off in a story, they might actually stay dead. Well, for a while, yeah. Uh, you know, it, and and it's uh and again, it's just to some degree, I have to be appreciative of the people who get so worked up over those characters. I mean, they are invested in in what you're doing, uh, or at least invested in in the character, if not in what you're doing. Um, 
And then if it gets too bad, I simply mute them and move on. Used to be I'd try to talk to them about it. I would try to, you know, you know, state my case. But that is that way lies madness. So uh, <laughs> if someone, you know, I'm fine if someone says I really didn't enjoy what you did here. But if someone gets sort of belligerent or just won't let it go, my only choice is just to to move on. Yeah, there's only so much time in the day, and you, right. you can only give so much away. Correct. But, but that actually leads me to something else I've always been fascinated and really want to ask you. The amount of work that you do seems to me to just be so steady and impressive. How do you just continuously pump out? Because what was, at one time, you were writing... What was the highest amount of books that you were writing in a single month? Oh, hell, I don't even like to think about it. A, a lot. I don't know how many there were. There were there was, there was, were times where I was writing several books for DC and Marvel at the same time, as well as some creator-owned stuff. So there were, there, there have been times where the number's probably pretty uh, shocking. But, uh, but I try not to, to think about it too much. Because <laughs> I just remember, because that was right around the time that uh, I was finishing up my degree, which was in creative writing, the whole craft of writing to me was still this mystery. The question I have was just simply, how do you keep all the ideas you're working on going and and keep that momentum coming out? Uh, continue the plotting, the outlining, um, and then while doing that, still stay on top of your deadlines and battle the new ideas that are coming and keeping those, knowing that some of those are good, but still maintaining the discipline to work on the stuff you are working on. I mean, it right. seemed like you would have to compartmentalize so very meticulously, but still not turn off that faucet of creativity. And well, I was just trying to know, figure out how you did that. And that's, you know, there's probably the, the, the big challenge for me is I get distracted by other ideas and, and other projects that I want to work on. And, um, as far as the, you know, sitting down and doing the work, uh, I, I just, I was, when, at the height of, of when I was doing all those projects at one time, I remember saying that if I could write five pages a day, every day, uh, I could meet all my deadlines. And so five pages a day over the course of a month is, uh, you know, 150 pages, so seven or so issues of comics. And that was, uh, and that's, you know, if I could write five issues a day or five pages a day, that would uh, equate to, to seven comics. And five pages a day is nothing for me. I can, if I, if I went through a month writing five pages a day, I would feel like the laziest so-and-so that's ever walked the face of the earth. Um, I sit down at 8.30 in the morning and I get back up at five or six and i work constant during that time and and the only thing that slows me down is what you just described which is uh <laughs> the getting distracted by other ideas something mm -hmm. gets me out of left field and all of a sudden here i am brainstorming another project when i need to be working on a script and uh and that uh, that's the thing that that will slow me down and derail me if i'm not careful that's that's my real question of how to put that aside. Well, the only way to really that that I've I mean, sometimes it's just the only way to get get past it is to to do it is to start you know to get the get the brainstorming or or you know planning to a point that you can set it aside without without letting it worry you. But for me, um, I always have to keep in mind that there are other creators who are waiting on me. There are artists who won't have anything to draw if I don't finish these scripts. Or worse, there are artists who will move on to other projects if I don't finish these scripts. So uh, I always have to keep that deadline, that sort of... In addition to the deadline that editors and publishers give you, there's another deadline, which is never let the artist you're working with twiddle their thumbs. And, and that's always been a big, big thing for me is I don't want the artist to, to have nothing to do. I think that makes a whole lot of sense, especially 
Um, you know, as a comic reader, you don't really think about the collaborative effort that goes into the creation of comics. So thinking of if it starts with the writer, it certainly doesn't end there. Uh, so that's a really good point of something that I personally never really thought of. You never want your artist to be bored. No, uh, you know, it's tough with creator. Like I said, create our own projects. They'll move on to something else. And, uh, and you know, on other projects, they're not getting paid if uh, they're not working. And, 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 and honestly, there's, you know, in addition to wanting them to make, to make sure that the, my collaborators are, you know, are, are working and, and busy. Uh, if I'm not turning in scripts, I'm not getting a paycheck. And, and that can be a motivator to get work done for sure. Yeah. I tell you what, the, the bomb of the day, everybody's got to pay rent or the mortgage and then eat. So yeah, that's really, that's, I mean, yeah. if you we're know, being honest, that's my motivator. You know, this is this, you know, I get to write comics for a living. So it's like the greatest job for me. But it's a job and I have to treat it as such. And uh, and yeah, you know, like I said, that it's that's the stuff that uh, that will derail me is worrying about, uh, you know, other projects or something. The only other thing that gets in the way is maybe conventions. Those can be kind of a. Uh, murder on a schedule, but uh, but yeah, if I if I if I have a deadline or or a set amount of pages I I need to write in order to meet my deadlines, and if I skip a day, that means the next day I have to make it up, and 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 that's just the way I've worked now for over a decade. And I know I was seeing if you were free in January, but of course you were super busy. Yeah, Um, January was a tough month. I believe of numbers of pages. Because I was keeping track, I've started keeping track of how many pages I, I produce each uh, each week, and and I had some big deadlines in January, and mm-hmm. I, and I wrote oh close to three hundred pages, if not just over three hundred pages in January, and uh, and and I called it script apocalypse because I had so much that I had to get done. That was it. That was what I was uh, trying to move towards. Was yeah. I was going to mistakenly call it writer apocalypse, but it was script apocalypse. Yeah, script apocalypse. Yeah, I had a I had a big graphic novel deadline, and then I had other other scripts that I also uh, were on deadline or that I wanted to finish. Personal deadline or publisher deadline, and uh, and yeah, it, it it equaled out to be about three hundred pages when it was all said and done. Yeah, that sounds like one of those things you'd come out of your writing room. Uh, and see the sun for the first time uh, in about a month. Even then, I had days where I took it pretty easy. It's it, again, it sounds like a lot, um, but doing you know ten pages a day for me is kind of feels kind of light sometimes. Uh, if if the if it's if the story's not coming out like if the story is is flowing like molasses, then yeah, maybe that's a lot of pages. But most of the time, I already have. When I sit down to script, I already have an outline in mind, and uh, mm-hmm. and and if I'm writing from an outline, it goes very quickly. Excellent. So showing up to write, really prepared to write the story, is very helpful, right? It is. Yeah. So with all of that writing and those tight deadlines you have there, is there anything that you can talk about that you've got coming up that that you'd like to? to let the listeners know about and be on the lookout for? Uh, I'm trying to think what I can announce. I have a, I have several new books that will be, that are being announced in the next, you know, couple of months. But, uh, but I'm not sure I'm, I'm able to, to really uh, announce them myself. Uh, I see. We did, uh, we did just, uh, only just announced Rogue Planet which is a five issue mini series. Uh, it's a sort of a sci-fi horror series that'll be coming out. And here's, you know, here's an interesting thing about, you know, and this is the other thing about, you know, working on so many different books uh, because it's sort of an illusion. Rogue planet is coming out this year, like in a couple of months. And I have, I wrote all the scripts for that over five years ago. Oh, no way. So, you know, in some cases, uh, the publishing schedules make things look like I'm producing more than I am. And yeah, I, I wrote that script a while ago. Yeah, and, and really, most of the 
most of the issues have been drawn for for quite a while too. But that book's now announced. I'm glad to happy to say, and will be coming out from uh, from Oni in the next couple of couple of months. Um, like I said, it's a it's a five issue five issue series. It is a a balls to the wall horror story set in outer space and a sort of uh, sort of a nod to some of my favorite horror sci-fi thing movies and tv shows and novels like uh uh alien and the thing and event horizon uh those are all big influences on that book i was gonna ask about event horizon uh because whenever i hear whore in space yeah that's like the the movie that i think of as like the hallmark sci-fi horror i mean once you get past alien or yeah it was a it was a great movie um, I mean, I had my problems with it. I remember loving it. I haven't seen it in quite a while now. I, I remember really loving it uh, up until the point that they put a face on the horror. Uh, when Sam Neill's character became sort of this scarred up, you know, uh, face of, you know, a, a face man for the for the unnatural forces. I kind, it kind of lost me a little bit. But uh, but, yeah, I, I really like that movie uh, and a lot of what that movie did. Um and yeah, the, and Rogue Planet definitely has some uh, some event horizon in its DNA. Yeah, does that have any uh, any similarities to the video game Dead Space? I am not familiar enough with Dead Space to answer that question. Uh, right. I don't I don't know what to, uh, what the the story of Dead Space is uh, mainly because that came out at a time where I don't think I could have board video games <laughs> got gotcha i understand that entirely i actually um while we were talking about just pulled up uh the hollywood reporters small coverage on the preview mm-hmm. of of rogue planet and a whole oh, man i don't think i've ever thought of whore from aliens like and i'm talking like green men who experience horror themselves like oh yeah also I, the victims. i was trying to remember yeah i was trying to remember what pages they put on that hollywood reporter thing but yeah it's kind of a oh it's, it's kind of a bleak introduction to the series it okay. really is this looks really interesting oh there's like a totem made up with some faces and oh wow okay yeah i would if you're a horror fan and you like sci-fi uh I, I would recommend checking out at least the preview or, or picking the book up. This looks interesting. Yeah, and it's got Andy McDonald on art um, and Nick Filardi on colors. It's a it's a it's going to be a real pretty book if nothing else. So it looks very cool. So cool. So there's one book we have to look forward from you. Uh, yeah, and, and like I said, I've got a bunch of others coming out. Uh, keep you know keep your eyes peeled because there are some there are some big announcements coming up and. Uh, there are several creator-owned books that um, are going to get announced uh, in the very near future, and uh, and some other some other projects as well. Very cool. All right. Well, I think that's enough asking you about the the writing aspect <laughs> and the chores. Why don't we uh, ask you about the things that you enjoy uh, that you get to share with your son? Um, is there any particular book of yours that he really loves or is he more of a more interested in all the kind of stuff that you guys can enjoy together and and not you talk about work he has uh, absolutely no interest in comic books or and, and specifically in my comic books he's not a he's not a comic book fan so uh we have had to to find other other things that we could enjoy together. It's it's sad for me, but he's just not into comics. Uh, no matter how hard I try, and and it kind of got to the point where I'm like, I can keep trying, and he's just going to you know rail against it, you know <laughs> even more. Um, right. And it's you know it's weird because it's even like you mentioned Monsters Unleashed from Marvel earlier, and, mm-hmm. and Monsters Unleashed. That's my kid, and that and this this character Kid Kaiju is based on my son. And uh, and I was like, "How cool is it? You're a superhero!" Yeah, <laughs> right. Like he's like, I, "Yeah, okay." Uh, and I'm like, "All right, well, <laughs> nothing this... I can do there." And um, it's uh, so that's a little weird. But we uh, you know, <laughs> we've uh, 
we like he likes board games quite a bit, so we play a lot of board games. Uh, uh, he's been playing Zombicide with me, which is sort of the zombie slaughter board game that he really likes, and he's he's really good at. Uh, in fact, I had a bunch of friends over just a few few nights ago, you know, all these these you know adults sitting around the table, and I said, well, my son's not going to let us play Zombicide if he's not allowed to play. And he was the one who was offering these great strategies to to win the game. But uh, so he likes he likes uh, games like that, sort of these uh, these higher level board games. He's really into. Um, and and we watch uh, we watch quite a few movies. He's he's always wants me to, to he always wants to watch spooky movies or scary movies with me. And uh, you know, so I kind of have to balance that so it's not too scary. Um, but uh, but you know, if I can find a great sort of spooky movie we've been watching those together quite a bit i think the last one we watched we watched uh scary stories to tell in the dark just a few days ago um and we watched uh dark night of the scarecrow which is a a great it was a it was a made for tv uh movie when i was a kid and uh and it terrified me when i was a kid it's not as terrifying now but uh, I don't think he found it as terrifying, but we still tried. You know, we gave it a shot and, and watched it, and can kind of enjoy those kind of movies together. Gotcha. That's really cool. I was just wondering if there's an example of a movie that he was like, "Can we watch this? Can we watch this?" And you just immediately thought to yourself, "Nope. Oh no." Mm-mm. Um, I can't think of a specific one. There have been several of you know of those. Those that that I'm like, no, we're just not we're just not ready for for that. But uh, but uh, I I know that, and this is a couple of years ago. Uh, I sat down to watch the thing with him, and I kept telling him how scary the movie was. And he watched it and he was like, Dad, this movie's not scary at all. And then this dog explodes into this horrible polypy creature, and he had this look of just just you know, astonishment and uh disgust on his face <laughs> and that's what that's and, that's when you had to say those are practical effects by the right, way right yeah that was not done with computers you know it was <laughs> um so you know there's there's some things like that. he really wants to watch it um oh the I, new one yeah the new it uh and i think we'll probably we'll probably tackle that in the near future um we just haven't uh had the time because he wants to watch both you know both parts but uh, there hasn't been one that uh, like we watched Predator, for instance, and mm-hmm. uh, I I'm I don't think I'm ready to show him Predator Two yet, because Predator Two has you know some graphic sex stuff in it, and I didn't want to to deal with that. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I I don't think any parent there blames you. I'm fine with dealing with people getting mowed in half by miniguns, but I'm just not ready for. Graphic violence is a lot easier to just kind of smile and shrug off than the talk. Oh, God right. forbid. Right. So, yeah, there, you know, I, I, I pick my battles. I, I'm not sure I always uh, choose wisely, but uh, <laughs> but I try my best. I have been reprimanded myself, although my daughter's not very old. She just turned three, but she's still in the phase where she loves to just hang out and will watch TV with me. Sure. Uh, which which I hope continues because uh, I, I enjoy watching movies and TV. Uh, but now I have to make sure that I'm aware of what's on TV uh, while yeah. she's next to me. Um, I got in trouble for letting her watch Rick and Morty with me, which um, I didn't think was that bad. And then I really was kind of paying more attention to uh, how well she can repeat everything. And I realize oh, we yeah. we can't we can't do Rick and Morty, and I think Family Guy is probably on the way out now too. <laughs> Those uh, are probably uh, yeah. I'm just right about to start getting myself in trouble uh, between school and daycare and stuff. So yeah. got to make the changes. But the good news is uh, now I get to watch her and her renditions of Frozen over and over and over and over, and that's oh, fun. I mean, that's yeah. fun. Absolutely. Well, anyway, well uh, again, Colin, I really want to thank you for uh, taking the time to be on the show. Uh, but before we let you go, I just wanted to ask if you had any questions for the Galactic Dads. I actually had, I was, I was uh, kind of, 
thinking of this question the other day. I wasn't thinking of it in terms of this this recording, but you know, one of the things I think about a lot is that comic books uh, are doing a much better job of there's there's so much material out there for for younger readers in in comics. But I'm still, you know, I but I I don't know that uh, especially when you think about like the books you can pick up at a comic shop because you know there's so much young reader stuff out there or middle reader stuff that you know kids can get at book fairs and in bookstores but in comic shops I don't see as much of it some shops do a really good job have kids sections things like that but what do you think uh what what's a quality that uh that comics need to have to attract reader younger readers that is an excellent question I think that's a question the comic industry has been asking itself for a while. Um, and I used to just think it was take the, the known properties, say your Superman, your Batman, Wonder Woman, um, Captain Marvel, what have you, and just make the stories just more accessible, more mm-hmm. easy and, and fun. Uh, the art, of course, always seems to change when you aim it towards a younger audience. Um, but I, I thought that that was the answer. And um, I, I really don't think it is because I know that they've tried those approaches and they don't take off as well. I think that the best way to get those kind of younger readers and get them into it is one to make them accessible to where they are, where they go. Um, so, you know, maybe not the comic book shop or even the bookstore as much as, you know, if you can get those stories back at Walmart or right. Target or sure. uh, places kids go with their parents uh when i was younger i would see comic books right there at the checkout line uh at the grocery store i could pick up an issue it was was it was great yeah i went mind standing behind the old lady who was just starting to write the check at the moment (laughs) i I didn't care like i would now i'm like now i have a phone i could scroll endlessly but still it really bothers me um but if we could get any book um kind of to where they are I think that would be helpful. I think that then starts to build. If the interest is there, it only it it only serves to enhance that interest because that's how honestly that's how comic books got me. I saw the cartoons and for some reason it resonated. And then when I was able to grab an issue, that's when my the fire was stoked and off to the races with collecting. And here I am now in my thirties trying to do something. Um, that builds off it, whatever it takes to get the books where younger readers are. That's a good answer. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, you're right. It's a, it's a question that the comic book industry continues to ask itself. Um, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I think, uh, you're absolutely right. I missed the days where they were very readily available. Mike and I, you know, that was probably early nineties when I was really starting to really get my attention and I had like the X-Men animated cartoon on Fox was just taking off. And I would go to the grocery store after watching it. And bam, there's a Wolverine or an X-Men comic right there. Sure. Like It was just like the perfect timing. I don't know why that isn't catching on now as much. Like you would think that uh, Avengers, maybe with all the movies and stuff, you would see kind of more of those younger fans kind of sure. clamoring for it in the aisles. But I'm I'm not sure. I don't. I don't understand my three-year-old, so I certainly don't understand other kids today. Right. Uh, and my God, do I sound like some somebody's old dad who's just out of touch? <laughs> but um, it, it's true. I just I, I don't know what what gets their attention besides the iPad, um, and I'm certainly guilty there as well. So maybe if you could get something else, I think Disney Plus would probably be a good place to start too. Kind of get some of those sure. older shows back there and get them more curious and then try and hopefully get a book in their hands. Sure. There's my question. You did well. Hey, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> uh, let me know if that, if that works for you. It uh, does. It's it's perfect. <laughs> that'd be good. Well, Colin, again, like I said, I probably said four or five times now, but thanks so much for, uh, for taking the time. No, I'm, I'm uh, I appreciate you. you talking to me. Thanks. Thanks to you. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, that is Colin Bunn, the man who is constantly working and has so much stuff coming out that he doesn't know if he can tell us about yet. (laughs) So uh, keep an eye out on his Twitter. Uh, He's at Colin Bunn. 
Uh, Colin, do you have any other socials or anything you want people to follow? Twitter's Twitter's the absolute best uh, best for for keeping up with me. Uh, I have an e newsletter that you can get to through Twitter as well that uh, you can subscribe to, and I post a lot of stuff weekly on that uh, as well. Very cool, and I believe you also have a Patreon going on, right? I do, I do. Uh, if you search for me on Patreon, that uh, I post, uh, you know, s- serialized stories and some serialized comics and some behind the scenes information. So lots of different stuff uh, goes up on there as well. Very cool. So everybody, be sure to go check that out. Uh, and if you're feeling incredibly interested in all of the books that we discussed today. They are all out in trade paperback form, so you can hit up your local comic book shops or even Amazon. Uh, just search for Colin. Uh, he'll show up, and you can, you'll have a lot to pick from, uh, which we recommend. But otherwise, Colin, thanks again for joining us on Galactic Dads, and we look forward to seeing what comes out from you. All right, man. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.